0: brown's folly by nathaniel hawthorne this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org brown's folly the wayside august 28 1860 my dear cousin i should be very glad to write a story as you request for the benefit of the Essex institution, or for any other purpose that might be deemed desirable by my native townspeople. But it is now many years since the epoch of the twice-told tales in the mosses from an old manse, and my mind seems to have lost the plan and measure of those little narratives in which it was once so unprofitably fertile. I can write no story, therefore, but, rather than be entirely wanting to the occasion, I will endeavor to describe a spot near Salem, and watch it was once my purpose to locate such a dreamy fiction as you now demand of me. It is no other than that conspicuous hill. I really know not whether it lies in Salem, Danvers, or Beverly, which used in my younger days to be known by the name of Brown's Folly. This eminence is a long ridge rising out of the level country around, like a whale's back out of a calm sea, with the head and tail beneath the surface. Along its base ran a green and seldom trodden lane, with which I was very familiar in my boyhood, and there was a little brook which I remember to have dammed up till its overflow made a mimic ocean. When I last looked for this tiny streamlet, which was still rippling freshly through my memory, I found it strangely shrunken, a mere ditch indeed, and almost a dry one. But the green lane was still there, precisely as I remembered it, two wheel tracks in the beaten path of the horse's feet, and grassy strips between, the whole overshadowed by tall locust trees and the prevalent barberry bushes which are rooted so fondly into the recollections of every Essex man. From this lane there is a steep ascent up the side of the hill, the ridge of which affords two views of very wide extent and variety. On one side is the ocean and Salem and Beverly on its shores, on the other a rural scene almost perfectly level so that each man's meets and bounds can be traced out as on a map. The beholder takes in at a glance the estates on which different families have long been situated, and the houses where they have dwelt, and cherished their various interests, intermarrying, agreeing together, or quarreling, going to live, annexing little bits of real estate, acting out their petty parts in life, and sleeping quietly under the sod at last. A man's individual affairs look not so very important, when we can climb high enough to get the idea of a complicated neighborhood but what made the hill particularly interesting to me were the traces of an old and long-vanished edifice midway on the curving ridge and at its highest point a pre-revolutionary magnate the representative of a famous old salem family had here built himself a pleasure-house on a scale of magnificence which combined with its airy sight and difficult approach obtained for it and for the entire hill on which it stood the traditionary title of brown's folly whether a folly or no the house was certainly an unfortunate one while still in its glory it was so tremendously shaken by the earthquake of seventeen fifty five that the owner dared no longer reside in it and practically acknowledging that its ambitious sight rendered it indeed a folly he proceeded to locate it on humbler ground the great house actually took up its march along the declining ridge of the bill and came safely to the bottom where it stood till within the memory of men now alive the proprietor meanwhile had adhered to the royalist side and fled to england during the revolution the mansion was left under the care of richard derby an ancestor of the present derby family who had a claim to the brown property through his wife but seems to have held the premises precisely as the refugee left them for a long term of years in the expectation of his eventual return The house remained, with all its furniture and its spacious rooms and chambers, ready for the exile's occupancy, as soon as he should reappear. As time went on, however, it began to be neglected, and was accessible to whatever vagrant, or idle schoolboy, or burying party might choose to enter through its ill secured windows. But there was one closet in the house which everybody was afraid to enter, it being supposed that an evil spirit, perhaps a domestic demon of the Brown family, was confined in it. One day, three or four score years ago, some schoolboys happened to be playing in the deserted chambers and took it into their heads to develop the secrets of this mysterious closet. With great difficulty and tremor, they succeeded in enforcing the door. As it flew open, there was a vision of people in garments of antique magnificence, gentlemen in curled wigs and tarnished gold lace, and ladies in brocade and quaint headdresses, rushing tumultuously forth and tumbling upon the floor. The urchins took to their heels in huge dismay, but crept back after a while and discovered that the apparition was composed of a mighty pile of family portraits. I had the story, the better part of a hundred years afterwards, from the very schoolboy who pried open the closet door. After standing many years at the foot of the hill, the house was again removed in three portions and was fashioned into three separate dwellings, which, for aught I know, are yet extant in Danvers. The ancient site of this proud mansion may still be traced or could have been ten years ago upon the summit of the hill it is consistent of two spacious wings connected by an intermediate hall of entrance which fronted lengthwise upon the ridge two shallow and grass-grown cavities remain of what were once the deep and richly stored cellars under the two wings and between them is the outline of the connecting hall about as deep as a plough furrow and somewhat greener than the surrounding sod the two cellars are still deep enough to shelter a visitor from the fresh breezes that haunt the summit of the hill and the barberry hushes clustering within them offer the harsh acidity of their fruits instead of the rich wines which the colonial magnate was wont to store there for his guests there i have sometimes sat and tried to rebuild in my imagination the stately house or to fancy what a splendid show it must have made even so far off as in the streets of salem when the old proprietor illuminated his many windows to celebrate the king's birthday. I have quite forgotten what story I once purposed writing about Brown's Folly, and I freely offer the theme and sight to any of my young townsmen who may be addicted with the same tendency towards fanciful narratives which haunted me in my youth and long afterwards. Truly yours, Nathaniel Hawthorne End of Brown's Folly by Nathaniel Hawthorne